Hi, everyone. Welcome and thank you for tuning into The Animal Files, the podcast where we expose the truth, science, and spirituality of pet care and provide you with the wisdom and tools you need to raise happy and healthy companion animals. My name is Victoria, an animal spirituality facilitator and integrative energy practitioner. And my name is Miranda, an animal health technologist and pet care safety expert. Let's dive in, shall we? Hello and welcome to this week's Animal Files. We teased you a little bit that this week we were going to be talking about something really important and a little bittersweet. Well, today we are bringing you a topic that is very near and dear to my heart. That is because if you've been listening for a long time, you know I had two little beautiful sweet kitties, Maisie and Frankie, who had this condition. We are talking about feline leukemia virus, or FELV. Many of you have probably heard of it, especially if you listen to the show. Possibly you heard it through hearing about it in the context of vaccines, or maybe you came across it in passing when looking up some kitty information or whether you've experienced caring for a cat yourself that had this condition. Or the one that I'm most concerned with, you may have misconceptions about this disease entirely. Well, in this episode, we're going to help you better understand what this condition is, how it affects cats, and how you can reduce the transmission of the virus and maybe even dispel those misconceptions. So since this is a sciencey topic, I'm going to let Miranda take it from here. You know, there might be a lot of you who might be thinking, Well, it's called feline leukemia virus, so it must be a form of leukemia. Well, it isn't exactly. It's actually a virus, and specifically, it's a retrovirus. It was originally discovered in cats that had a form of leukemia, but it can also cause a variety of other diseases because both Frankie and Maisie succumbed to different diseases. Mm -hmm. Feline leukemia virus is not actually a disease in itself. It causes diseases or, well, it kind of causes diseases. Really what happens is that this virus, this retrovirus inserts a DNA copy of its RNA genome into the DNA of the host cell that it invades. It then changes the genome of that cell. So basically what is happening is that this virus affects the immune system. So you guys probably have all heard of HIV, I'm sure. FELV or feline leukemia operates similarly to HIV by weakening the cat's immune system, which then makes them vulnerable to other infections or syndromes. And this can include things like lymphomas, anemia, neurological conditions, eye conditions, bacterial or parasitic conditions, and a variety of other things. So when a cat has feline leukemia, we never really know how it's going to affect them. And we'll talk a little bit more about this a little bit later on as well, but they can live for many, many years, very healthy, and sometimes not. So we can't just assume that just because they have this virus, it's the end for them. And I think that one of the misconceptions about this virus is that it is highly contagious and a very high risk for cats 
Which is kind of a half truth, yeah, but not the full truth. So do you have to worry a great deal about your cat contracting this virus? Well, let's talk about that a little bit here. This virus may be fairly rampant among feral and colony cats, but there are some sources that suggest that this virus does not spread that easily. And so it's not actually necessarily a strong infection amongst these groups of cats. But it's believed by many sources that this virus being connected with feral and colony cats can create risk to any outdoor cats that tend to roam away from home a lot, or even a little bit, actually. The fact is, though, is this virus is not actually that robust. It only tends to survive on surfaces for a couple of hours. So if you have had an FELV or feline leukemia cat in your home, Contamination is not actually going to be an issue if you choose to bring in a healthy cat a few days after that cat has left your household. This virus also is not an issue when it comes to other species. So you don't have to be afraid of, oh, am I going to get this virus? Is my dog going to get this virus? Is my bird going to get this virus? That's not going to happen because it's considered to be species specific. When it comes to exposure, it generally requires a prolonged period of close contact activities between the infected FELV positive cats and the susceptible or FELV negative cats and involves things such as mating, mutual grooming, sharing of litter trays and food bowls, things like that. It most often is transmitted through saliva but it can also be transmitted through other bodily fluids. Yeah, and that includes from mother to kitten. Yes. Both Maisie and Frankie were born with the disease. Mm -hmm. They came out of the womb being FELV positive because their mother had it. Mm -hmm. And cat bites is another way that it can get transmitted as well. Yeah. So if you've got a multi-cat household, this can create more of a risk particularly if you do choose to bring in another cat into your home that is coming from an unknown source. So for example, you see an ad in, well, not really newspaper these days, but you see an ad on, I don't know, Kijiji or something like that, or Facebook that's saying, oh, Frida, good home. I've got a cat. And you accept the cat and there's no testing or veterinary work or anything like that. So then basically you don't know anything about the health of the cat. So you could be bringing that condition or possibly other conditions into your home. Yep. That's kind of what happened. I found Maisie and Frankie on Facebook. They were a part of a feral or their mom was part of a feral community who found a safe place, quote unquote, safe place for their kittens, which was under a deck. And the kittens were born under this deck of this home. And when I saw the picture of them, I believe that cats choose you. And I knew that they were mine. And so I went, I drove an hour and 15 minutes away from my house to go pick them up. Now, I immediately brought them to the vet. But because they were only like barely nine weeks old, I did not know because tests take a long time. And it took me a few weeks to actually find out. I don't know. I think it was two different visits in the time before I found out they were FELV positive Mm. and the first time they went to the vet. 
So there was a little bit of time. Thankfully, we got them health insurance before we had a diagnosis because then all of the stuff that came after the fact was covered under insurance. But I did not know. And it took a few weeks. I think we didn't know until they were like 12 to 14 weeks old Mm -hmm. that they were feline positive. Luckily, we got them insurance like ASAP. So they were insured by like 11, Mm -hmm. 12 weeks. So it was after the fact. But we didn't know. They were feral. We just brought them into our house. It was not through an adoption agency or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Luckily, we had no cats at the time. So we didn't have to worry about exposure to other cats because we had lost Tic Tac two months prior. But yeah, it was it was kind of a blow when we found out because you didn't think these cute little kittens would be so sick so early. Mm -hmm. And actually, I think the reason we knew something wasn't right is the first time they got their shots Maisie's first distemper shot threw her immune system into overdrive and she had huge huge lymph nodes bigger than my vet had ever seen on a cat that young and she had to go on antibiotics really soon after we got them which I think is one of the reasons why she was so tiny to begin with Mm. I think that stunted her growth a little bit but I think that was probably around the time that we were doing all the testing. And so, yeah, if you go through an adoption agency, a legitimate and reputable adoption agency or rescue or a shelter, Mm -hmm. chances of you having an FELV cat is very slim Mm -hmm. because they would do that testing. And they would not adopt you that animal if the cat had FELV. Well, there's some exceptions to that, but we'll get into that later. Oh, I'm sure there's exceptions to everything. (laughs) That's why I wanted to make sure legitimate and reputable was in there. (laughs) So if you are going to choose to bring a new cat into your home and you've got a multi-cat household and you don't have any guarantee of the health of this new cat then what you really need to do is make sure you keep that cat separated from any of your current cats Mm -hmm. because this virus is not airborne. So just the fact that you have an FELV cat in your home is not going to automatically spread the virus to your other cats. They have to actually be physically in contact or be sharing different accessories and things like that. This also is a benefit because not only does it help to reduce the risk of exposure, it also is going to help minimize stress because stress is a big factor when it comes to FELV cats, which we'll get into as well a little bit more later. It also reduces the chances of fights that can happen during the introduction process. Just a teaser, that's something that we are also going to talk about in a future episode, how to introduce cats so that you can avoid issues like that. So before you allow your new cat to come into contact with any of your other cats, what you need to do is make sure you get them tested first, especially if you have kittens or young cats, because they are more susceptible to the virus than older cats. You know, once your new addition has been said to be in the clear, then, you know, just follow through with proper introduction protocol, and then you can have your cats mingle together. So what does testing involve? Well, if you need to check if your cat may be carrying FELV, feline leukemia, your veterinarian will do a blood test. And what it does is it detects a specific protein that is in the virus. 
If the result shows positive, you may be asked to have another blood test done in a couple of months to check to see if the infection is persistent or not, because sometimes these tests can potentially show a false positive. Yeah. And that was one of the things that we had to consider when Maisie was getting ready to go on vacation with us. We did the vet checkup and everything like that to make sure that she was healthy. And this is before we realized that she already had lymphoma because it didn't show in her blood work. But we did another test because the vet said that there's a possibility that it could just be from the mother, like a kind of like a shadow of the mother, uh, not a prenatal, but uh, I don't know what the term is, but it would have been basically a mother. And it doesn't necessarily mean that those kittens will still continue to have FELV. It would just be, you know, from birth or whatever, and it could subside and go away. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether that would be considered a false positive. I can't remember exactly what my vet worded it, but there was this chance that after two years, when we get her retested again, now we should have retested them earlier, but that she may have not had it. Mm -hmm. That was not the case. And then three weeks later, we find out she's, or a month later from that test, we find out she had lymphoma Mm -hmm. and it didn't show up in a blood test. So we had no idea she was cleared for travel and all that stuff. So yeah, it could be a false positive. It could just be from the mother. It could just be false positive, like you had mentioned, Mm -hmm. but it's always good to get them retested. Yeah. Well, Maybe this is similar to what the vet had told you, but there is a small percentage of cats that will be able to successfully eliminate the virus after exposure if they have a really healthy immune system and minimal stress in their lives. Yeah, well, that could be it. I know Maisie and Frankie did have minimal stress, Yeah, but they were also fearful cats because they were pandemic cats. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what can you do when they're just not socialized because they were not able to be socialized? Right. But their living conditions were very relaxed and very calm and they had a lot of access to do whatever they really wanted to enjoy and whatever. So Mm -hmm. their lifestyle was not very stressful, Mm -hmm. but because they were pandemic cats and were basically afraid of like loud sounds and -hmm. and people and stuff like that, then they had elements of stress in their lives that we couldn't change. Yeah. And I, I think it varies because there might be some cats that can eliminate it like almost right away to the point where it's like, you don't even detect it at all. Mm -hmm. Whereas there's some that could show that they have it. And then later on, when they get retested, it doesn't show it anymore. And it can take up to 30 days after exposure as well for these feline leukemia antigens to even show up in a blood test. So even if you think there might have been exposure or potential for exposure, the first test may not show it right away. So it's generally a good idea to get at least a second test to verify whether they are in fact positive or are in fact negative. And also, there are some cats who can end up having this virus become latent, meaning they are no longer contagious, but 
the virus can end up reactivating, usually being caused by some form of stress. Yeah, I would think that would be the the concept of remission. Yeah. Like you can have cancer and your cancer goes into remission, but something happens and then it re, I mean, it might be a little bit different, but I think it's more like herpes. It's like always in your body and it's latent there, but it requires stress to bring it out and activate it. Okay. Yeah. I guess it's still kind of the concept of remission, but not the same as like cancer remission. Right. I never had to deal with that. I was hoping for that, but that never happens. Mm-hmm. We, Frankie made it two years and Maisie made it three and a half. But my gut tells me that their mom, I'm thinking it was probably a generational form of the virus. Mm. It was such a strong, positive response in the blood test. Mm. Oh, and by the way, this is not a routine blood test. You have to request this blood test from your vet. However, if they suspect it at all, then they might recommend it themselves. Yeah, they'll do it. Yeah. But yeah, if you're curious about it, it's got to be something that you request unless the vet says we're going to do it anyway, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, just to be safe. But I wanted to make sure people know that because it is not a routine blood test. Yeah. So I think that the virus was so embedded into the DNA in the mother's DNA, like maybe her mother had it. Mm. So it was just really buried in the DNA that there was just no way because like I said, their blood test was so instantly positive Mm. that it just seems like it was really embedded into their DNA. At least that's my gut. Yeah. I mean, I was hoping for the best, Mm -hmm. but again, feral cat colony, right? Kittens born under a deck to a FELV mother. You know, you never know. My gut thinks that it was heavily embedded in their DNA. There was just no way it was going to go latent. Right. Well, and with, with feral and colony cats, most of them are probably going to be quite young when they have their first litter. So yeah. even though they may not be showing any outside illness or any signs of illness at all, they could have probably one or two litters before it's ever discovered, if anybody even discovers it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I was hoping for the best, but it is what it is. And I wouldn't change anything I did, except for maybe get them to the vet maybe once, but I had a pandemic to deal with. My vet was closed for a while. So, you know, (laughs) there's a lot of things that were going against this, but I wouldn't change anything. If I found out that another cat that I adopted had FELB, I would continue to love it. And I would never change my opinion about owning an FELB cat, Mm -hmm. you know, unless it happens like they got out and they came back with it. And I already had another cat that was healthy. I don't, I don't know. I don't think that would ever happen in my house because I'm so anti-roaming cat and I do everything to make sure my cats don't even have access to the outside world, but I would never change it. Like I said, if I adopted two more kittens and they were both FELV, I would continue to love them and give them the best life possible and put on little sweaters on them so they didn't get a cold or die of pneumonia or anything like that. As much as I have had experienced the heartbreak of having these two beautiful FELV positive kittens, I would do it over again in a heartbreak because these cats, unfortunately, because of the misconceptions that we've mentioned, and we're going to mention more about it in the next half, a lot of times they don't even get a shot at living a full life. And I understand it. I understand it. You know, you have a rescue or a foster house and you have a cat with FELV. They're not going to put an FELV positive cat in with healthy cats. 
because then they may eventually have unhealthy cats. The liability, even if they have them separated for a rescue and adoption or shelter or whatever, there's a lot of liability there. And so they typically will put them down unless they're working with specific families that are willing to adopt FELV positive animals. So I would do it all over again because these cats still need love. They still need to have a life and to thrive the best they can despite having FELV. And then, of course, just like Miranda mentioned earlier, it's not a death sentence. They may die young like Maisie and Frankie, or they could live to be 11, 12, 13, 14 years old or even more having the virus in their system. So, yeah. (laughs) I wouldn't do anything different. (laughs) So when we come back, we will continue to go into this and we are going to share more information and I will share more of my experiences having two amazing FELV positive cats. And like I said, this is going to be a little bit bittersweet for me. (laughs) We'll see you in a little bit. Hi everyone, we hope you've been enjoying season three. It's been a great couple of years so far. Miranda and I just want to take a moment and thank you all for joining us on this journey and listening each and every week. If you want to help us out, you can just head to the website www.theanimalfilespodcast.com. Now that that's out of the way, let's get back to the conversation. And we are back. So as you just heard, the first half, we delved into what FELV is and how it can affect your beloved feline friends. Now, as we continue, we're going to shift our focus to two critical aspects, prevention and testing, because really those are the key factors here. You got to make sure you don't spread it. Mm -hmm. The first question, and I'm going to have Miranda answer this in her her very astute way. (laughs) Can you completely prevent your cat's exposure to FELV? Well, I don't believe anything is 100% preventable, but we can definitely greatly reduce the risk by taking certain measures. Of course, in the medical world, one option is having your cat or kitten vaccinated. But keep in mind that vaccines are not 100% effective. Yeah, I think they're more like 86 to 93% or something like that. Yeah. I think it's high, but it's not 100%. Right. So if you don't have a guarantee that your cat or kitten has not already been exposed, your veterinarian should do a test to make sure that they are FELV negative before they give any vaccines. Yes. As we mentioned the last half when Macy got her first distemper before we found out. Vaccines typically should be given to healthy animals, not animals that have any kind of compromised health issues. Now, I'm not entirely certain if there are antigen tests for this vaccine, but it should not be necessary for your cat to get a vaccine every single year. Typically, when a vaccine is given, there is going to be some antibodies that remain within the system that should be helping to protect. And they'll probably decrease to some extent, but they will not decrease to the extent that a new vaccine has to be given every year. However, this is your choice, and this is what you choose to decide between you and your veterinarian. We, we mentioned this already in the first half. You can be reasonably certain your cat or kitten is feline leukemia negative if they come from a reputable breeder 
reputable shelter, or rescue. Because these organizations typically have animals in their care checked by vets. But in a lot of cases, FELV positive, feline leukemia positive cats are usually not considered adoptable. Yeah. Like I mentioned at the end of the last half. Mm -hmm. You also can be fairly certain that your cat or kitten is feline leukemia negative if they come from a source that you know would help prevent exposure. But even then, it's still best to receive confirmation. Even if you do choose to get a vaccine, or if you don't, avoid allowing your cat to roam because this is going to prevent them from being exposed to an infected feline leukemia cat that is already outside. And if you've heard us talk about roaming cats before, cats typically are territorial. And there is that risk that if there are feral cats, stray cats, or even just other outdoor roaming cats, that they could end up fighting to protect what they consider to be their territory. Yep. And as we mentioned, it's passed through saliva. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to outdoor cats, that's going to be probably the main way that it would get transmitted is through fights, not through sharing of stuff. Of course, it could also happen with mating. So if you have a cat that you allow to roam and they are not spayed or neutered, there's more than one problem going on there. But if it's a female cat that you haven't had spayed, they could be infected by a male cat that is outside that could have that virus. And like we said as well, that if you have any new cats that you choose to bring into your home, make sure you separate them from all of your other cats until you can verify that they are feline leukemia negative. So now let's say you have a cat that you think has become exposed to feline leukemia, but you're not sure. Well, unless you have testing, it's going to be very, very tricky to know if your cat has actually contracted that virus, simply because they could remain really healthy for quite some time. So similar to how the HIV virus turns into AIDS, and a person doesn't actually start to become sick until that happens, feline leukemia cats will stay healthy until their immune system becomes too weak to protect them. Yeah. And they will also have to be, well, not necessarily exposed because cancer is not an exposure to something, but a healthy immune system generally prevents cancer from taking root in the body. Yeah. But once their immune system becomes weakened enough then they can start to show signs of minor infections and have a lot more difficulty recovering from relatively minor mishaps. So maybe they might have some kind of an injury that doesn't heal as easily. Maybe you might see cold-like symptoms. Maybe they might have a stomach upset that you don't really know what caused it or they're not recovering from it very easily. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why I was really scared when Maisie threw up the one poinsettia leaf. Mm -hmm. She recovered from that pretty quickly, but three days she didn't eat. And it's also why every time, because my cats were window cats, every time we had the window open, they had sweaters on if it was below a certain temperature, Mm -hmm. because heaven forbid they get a cold because there's a lot of zoonotic diseases out there. Mm -hmm. My husband and I also had COVID last year. And if we were going to be around Maisie, we were fully masked up in the house. 
Like there was just, there was no way we were going to get, even though I haven't heard any stories about the variants passing from human to animal, only like the original one, we still masked up the entire time. Mm-hmm. And since I was with Maisie all of the time, my husband, he was staying away from me <laughs> and we were staying away from each other. I literally was wearing a mask 24 seven in the house. And if Maisie was anywhere near me, my mask was on. Because I did not want to run the risk of her immune system. You know, I didn't know how her immune system was. So we were just overly cautious. Now, the one thing I have to say about my experience with that BLB is outside of Maisie's little lymph node thing that she had when she was a real little kitten from the vaccine, my cats were extremely healthy their entire lives. No sniffles, no gunk in the eyes, nothing. They were very, very healthy until they weren't. Mm -hmm. And with Frankie, who ended up with the blood cancer leukemia, he was diagnosed. Two weeks later, he was gone. Maisie diagnosed. Two weeks later, she was gone. And they were healthy up until that point. So I think sometimes, at least with Maisie and Frankie, their immune system was always working hard, I think, mm. to keep things at bay. And I think very good chance that it just got too tired. And that's when the cancer just whoo, mm. just took over. By the time we knew Maisie had lymphoma, the tumor in her chest was so large, it was pushing her heart to the side. And we had no idea. She was completely healthy, completely active, no signs, no nothing, grooming normally, shiny for everything. She was a hundred percent healthy until she wasn't. Mm. So that is also something, especially with these cats that maybe have that, the FELV DNA just really entrenched in their own DNA. It could happen like that. So yeah, you may get lucky and you might be able to kind of fight it. Well, not lucky, but at least have more experience with little colds and stuff like that over the time, or it's going to be healthy than not. Mm. It, it decides what it wants to do. And depending on whether your cat had it in utero or if they got it for a fight, I think all of those different parameters will change how the disease works within each individual animal. And it goes back to the whole, you have to treat your animal like an individual. Mm. It's also why I get so frustrated that they automatically will euthanize these kittens when they get them, because you don't know how it's going to affect them. You don't know if it's going to go latent. You don't know if they're going to get sick early or if they're going to live 17 years. You just don't know. Mm -hmm. I think there should be more people willing to care for animals like this that have the, what's the word? Um, the constitution to Mm. be able to deal with the heartbreak that may or may not come with this disease, Mm. but it can be different for every cat. And we have to remember that FELV is not a, like this cancer is always, or this is always going to turn into this type of cancer, or they're always going to die pneumonia, or they're always going to get leukemia or lymphoma or, or even they're going to die. You know, we have to stop thinking like that because yeah, of course we're all going to die. But a cat can live 17 years with FELV and not have a problem. Now, granted, that might be rare, but it happens. Mm -hmm. So we have to make sure that we treat each cat individually. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I keep getting on these little rants because I'm so, it's like, this is very near and dear to my heart. Yeah, It really is because just the stuff that I've learned, just having Maisie and Frankie has really solidified how much 
unknown Mm -hmm. circulates this particular condition. It's good that you are sharing. I mean, that was part of what my intention was with these episodes was for you to be able to share your experience with it and not just the science facts (laughs) because yeah (laughs) because science facts are good but science facts are not individualistic so you know science gives you a base but it does not acknowledge every single possibility that exists yeah you know going back to what might happen if your cat could be exposed to FELV. Ideally, you don't want to be waiting until they start showing symptoms. If you have any inkling that there's that possibility, we strongly recommend Mm -hmm. that you get the test or tests done to confirm. Yeah, you have to be proactive. You have to be your animal's advocate when it comes to stuff like this. Two reasons. One is if it's confirmed and verified that they are FELV negative, you have peace of mind on that. Yeah. Secondly, if it turns out that they have actually been exposed and they have become positive, then you can take the measures necessary to help protect them and extend their lives as long as possible where they can still live healthy, fulfilling lives. Now, what you have heard so far, maybe you might be feeling like this virus is something that you and your cats need to live in fear of. But if you were paying attention to some of the points that we mentioned, (laughs) (laughs) with appropriate measures, the likelihood of any of your cats contracting this virus is pretty minimal. If we can all take the time to educate ourselves about and understand this condition, we can actually see that it isn't necessary to automatically euthanize any cats, whether they're feral, stray, or cared for cats, just because they've got the condition. Yeah. And I want to add right here, the whole minimal thing. One of the reasons why it's pretty minimal. And if you remember from the beginning of of this show, we mentioned that this disease does not stay on services for very long. It is a weak disease. On that same level, if you are dealing with one or you have dealt with one, all you have to do is make sure to wash your hands after you play or touch or groom your cat before you go to another cat. That is the easiest way to make sure that you personally are not the transmitter of this disease. If you are fostering an FELV cat and they're separated from your actual cats, all you have to do is wash your hands. This is a very weak virus Mm -hmm. as far as transmission is concerned. Once it's in the body, it'll do whatever it feels it needs to do when it's in the host and entrench itself into the DNA or, you know, proliferate itself or whatever. (laughs) It can go latent. It can do whatever it wants once it's in the host. Mm -hmm. But you as the human go-between, just maintain cleanliness and wash your hands. And there's no way you can transmit the virus because the virus is a weak virus. It's very similar to like a cold virus and how easily it is to get rid of it once it's out of the host body. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to add that in there because you don't have to worry. Like my in-laws did get their cat's vaccinated against FELV and and FIP, which tends to be kind of a dual vaccine because my father-in-law would come and take care of my cats when my husband and I were unavailable. So like if we had to go away for the night or whatever, his father would take care of the cats. 
So even though he was always washing his hands and doing whatever, and he got his cats vaccinated just in case. Mm. Now, my mother, on the other case, our way for me to get to my mom's house so I can be playing with my cat, not have to worry about infecting her cat because the virus would be dead by the time I got to my mom's house. <laughs> and I would just wash my hands and it would, you don't have to worry about you as the human transmitting this disease from cat to cat. Right. I think that's what I'm trying to say <laughs> in a very roundabout way. <laughs> well, I think maybe one of the misunderstandings that we've kind of already addressed earlier is that there might be some fear that this virus is going to spread through the air. Yeah, no, that's does not happen. And that might be why people could be afraid of having a cat with this condition True. in a home with other cats. Yeah. Now, should you be adopting an FELV cat when you have healthy cats? Probably not. It's the reason why when Frankie passed, I didn't get another cat for Maisie. Did I feel like I was confident enough that if I ha- if I wanted to, I'd be able to keep them safe? Yes, but I have a little house and that would be too much work for me. So I didn't bring in another animal into the or another cat in this house because I wanted Maisie to be able to live her life happily, didn't want to add the stress of another animal, mm-hmm. none of that stuff. And it's just easier on us. And so we just let her be the queen of the house for the last year after Frankie passed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, space is definitely a consideration in a multi-cat household because you need to be able to have the space if or when it is needed to separate cats from other cats, whether it's because of illness, whether it's because of introducing of new cats to the current cats, whatever the reason might be for the separation, you need to make sure you have the space because if all you have is the bathroom, that's not really fair for a cat to have to live in the bathroom. That's not a lot of space. No, it's not. But, you know, we were talking about reputable shelters and rescues and that. The reason I said there is an exception is because there are some shelters that focus on caring specifically for feline leukemia positive cats and also give the option of adoption. So that is something that you can consider if you feel like you have the strength of heart to care for these cats, knowing that they might potentially have a shorter life, but possibly not. You know, it's kind of like these people who care for special needs animals, because basically that's what they are. Feline leukemia positive cats are a special needs animal. Yeah. They need more particular care than a regular cat would need because there's more things that you have to be aware of and pay attention to. Yeah. And I want to add, I mentioned it a little bit in the first half that health insurance, if you are already adopting a cat that is FELV positive, most insurance companies will not cover your cat. So there is also that level where you need to be able to provide the medical care necessary if needed. Mm -hmm. I got lucky because we're avid health insurance for our cats type people. And we got them health insurance within a week of us. We got the cats. We were calling the insurance company that week to get them covered. That was just how our process was. So they were covered before they got diagnosed. Mm -hmm. Even though they were born with it, we didn't know until the test came back. They were already insured. So they did not have a pre-existing condition. Mm -hmm. So keep that in mind. If you are wanting to open your heart to these amazing animals that deserve to live and thrive just like an average regular normal needs cat, Mm -hmm. then just know that it could be expensive, especially at the end and health insurance most likely will not cover you 
if you already know that they're FELB positive. Right. But there are insurance companies that seem to be changing a little bit how they operate because at least when it comes to conditions that are connected with purebreds, I believe that some of the insurance companies are opening themselves up to covering some of that kind of stuff. Oh, good. Now, I don't know how that works with an illness, but that's something you can look into. So do some research, investigate different insurance companies and see, maybe there might be something that could support you. Yeah. And there may even be an insurance company that does do pre-existing conditions. You just might have to pay more for it. Right. So just something to think about. And another possible option too, is that maybe there might be the option of fostering these cats instead of adopting them. And then most likely you would not be responsible for the costs of caring for them. Then. Yeah. But again, look into that and, and verify that information because I can't say that as an absolute fact. You would need to check with the organization. Yeah. And we have to remember, I, I know we've touched on it over and over again because I'm so passionate about this topic is that even though these cats may have shorter lives, they can still be amazing pets full of vitality and joy and thrive with what they have. I had two cats that thrived until they got sick. Mm -hmm. They did not have burdens to carry. They did not have obstacles to get over outside of the vaccines. And that's the reason why the cats had no vaccines and Maisie was intact. Frankie went through the surgery to get fixed very easily, but that's a boy, that's a neuter, that's an easier, simpler surgery. There are things that we had to make provisions for, but they thrived. They had such a happy life and they were full of joy and playful and never sick. And they were such a bright spot in our family for the short time that they were here with us, that the idea of somebody like them or another cat like them would be automatically put down and not be able to experience that breaks my heart. I mean, they're amazing. They're just as amazing. And sometimes I think maybe they can be even more amazing because they, they want to live and they, they make the best of their lives. And let me just tell you, I mean, Maisie, she even took plane flights and went on vacation <laughs> and everything. She had a good life and every apartment we went to, she took over within a few hours. So <laughs> it, I mean, they just, they can be so full of vitality and joy and they deserve to have that vitality and joy. No matter whether they live a year, three years, two years, three and a half years, 15, 10, eight, it doesn't matter. They deserve to have a life mm. where they can feel love and joy and just thrive and play with their toys and enjoy the birds outside in the windows and stuff like that. I mean, that's, yeah, mm -hmm. it, we have to understand that. Mm -hmm. Personally, I think the only time we should end an animal's life is if we know that they are suffering and that nothing can yeah. be done for them. Yeah. Now, hopefully you found this information helpful and supportive in making choices when it comes to feline leukemia cats and that you will help us by sharing what you learned here today with others 
because this will help to really contribute in reducing the transmission of this virus. The more we understand, yeah. the more we can help to prevent it. Yeah. Now I know there's great advances in other countries, I think in Europe and England on FIP, mm-hmm. which tends to be connected. They thought Maisie had FIP when she had lymphoma. Right. So I, they do have some type of connection. So there hopefully are advances as well in FELV just like we have advances with HIV. And now there's also FIV. FIV is also similar to FELV. Mm-hmm. And that's another story for another time or another <laughs> discussion for another time. Um, <laughs> we can add all of these different viruses that these cats can have. But you know, there are advances with humans and HIV, and there are people living full lives without contracting AIDS Mm -hmm. because they have found ways to either eliminate the virus so it's non-detectable or create a latent virus. And I hope and pray, and I think there are steps toward this, that FELV will follow the same route. We just need people to talk about it. We need people to share their experience. We need people to feel like they can handle adopting a cat with FELV. Mm -hmm. The more exposure we give this particular topic, the closer we can get to those days where we can make FELV non-detectable. We can make FELV latent. And that that's my hope, because after having two cats that had it and seeing that they're just like normal cats, even better, (laughs) these cats deserve it. They really, really, really do. So we're going to go into this a little bit more next week. We'll go more into depth on the symptoms you might see and how you can care and support your FELV positive cat and where you can find additional support. So make sure you come back for the next episode. It will also be our final episode of this season. We are going to throw in a couple bonus episodes probably before the end of the year, but next week will be our official final episode of season three. And thank you so much for sticking with us and listening to us each and every week. And if you have any questions or experience with FELV that you'd like to share in regards to dealing with and living with FELV cats, like I have done here today, please let us know. And we'll respond to them in our next episode. We'll respond to them in future episodes. Send those emails at the Animal Files podcast at gmail.com and we will respond. This is a passion project, especially of mine. And since Miranda has seen me go through this the entire time, pretty much that I've had these cats, (laughs) she's seen me go through it. She's seen the positive experiences that I've had. Yeah. So let us know your questions. Let us know your experiences and we'll respond to those. And uh, just we'll just get this out there. We'll get it out there. Spread the word. <laughs> Spread the word. <laughs> <laughs> if you have any regular questions too, you can do that. You can email us. We'll respond to those too. <laughs> Again, <laughs> the email is the animal files podcast at gmail.com. And if you want to go to our website, You can get all of our social links. You can get resources. So check that out. And the website is theanimalfilespodcast.com. Any final thoughts, Miranda? I think you covered it all. Cool. All right. You can tell I'm pretty serious about this and I'm really passionate about this. So come back next week and we will talk about caring and nurturing these amazing animals. And we'll close out the season with style (laughs) and importance. (laughs) 
<laughs> so we'll see you all next week. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to rate, review, and recommend the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want some more great info, be sure to check out www.theanimalfilespodcast.com.